Uh, if you got your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Last week, we started this series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're calling it Red Letters. Why are we calling it Red Letters? Great question. Uh, the reason why we're calling this is because in many Bibles, Jesus' words, Jesus' statements, Jesus' quotations are in red letters. And the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 is the longest recorded public message that we have from Jesus. He he, he went and he spoke to a crowd of people. And and this is the longest recorded public message of Jesus in the Gospels, in the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell about Jesus' life and his story. And so we're looking at this message of Jesus to people and we're seeing, well, what is Jesus' message to us. And so uh, this is Matthew chapter 5 uh, through 7, and we're just walking through the things that Jesus said in this series. Many called the Sermon on the Mount the manifesto for the kingdom of God. And last week we talked about how when we read Matthew's gospel, when we read what Matthew wrote to us, it's really important for us to understand the point that Matthew was trying to make. And the point was that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. The kingdom of heaven was present in the person of Jesus. So God's kingdom that, you know, we're praying for, that we hope we're going to get to heaven one day. You know, we believe that when we sing these songs and we talk about how Jesus is coming again, when Jesus came to earth, his kingdom was with us right then. God's kingdom broke through and in, in the person of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And that was Matthew's point to his book. We talked about how crowds followed Jesus because of his miracles, but disciples were the ones who were like all in. And we talked about how we need to be all in last week. Are there some people who are interacting with the message of Jesus that are going to follow it at a distance? Yeah, there are. There are some people who are just going to be casual fans. Like this, we talked about the the idea of the the Suns. I'm a big Suns fan, you know, and, and I, I can go to the arena. I'm just a casual fan, but I'm not doing the stuff to be a part of the team. I'm not doing the stuff to be actively involved, but Jesus gives us the opportunity as his disciples to be actively involved in what he's doing in his kingdom. So today I want to kind of switch gears and we're going to look at what Jesus said to us, what Jesus's words say to us. Before we begin, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for uh, just the ability to look at your word to hear you speak to us and allow your word to shape us and change us into the people that we need to be. Father, I pray that you would just open it up to us today, illuminate it in our hearts, and let us become more like you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Every person, every person alive, they carry a narrative. They carry a story that they tell themselves about themselves. You do it all the time. I do it. We're hardwired to do it. Stories we believe about ourselves, they connect events in our lives. They connect events and other people are woven into our stories and, and they, they're woven out of it. But, but these stories shape how we see the world and how we view ourselves. They shape how we see the world and how we view ourselves. Some believe that the narrative that you know they've heard you know, when they were younger or something, that they would never amount to anything. And so they grow up with this idea that they're never going to amount for anything or that there are nobody from no, nowhere. Some people believe that they're the smartest person in the room because they were always told that they were so smart and smarter than everybody else. You know, and they believe they walk into every room thinking, well, I'm the smartest person in the room. But, but they, they always usually get caught up because there's, there's stuff that just happens that no one knows about. Some people are told that they're pretty. Some people are told that they're ugly. 
Some people are glad that we're wearing masks right now. Some people are glad that we're stopping to wear masks, you know, like some people are told that they're pretty. They're told that they're ugly. Some are that they're always going to be poor. Some that they're rich. The point is, is that we all have these stories and these ideas that we've heard all of our lives and we're convinced ourselves to believe them. And, and that's the way we just think life is. That's the way that we just think it is. It's always going to be this way. It'll never be different. This is just how it is. It is what it is. And we'll just have to keep going. You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard those stories about yourself? You ever thought about those stories about yourself? My, uh, for his whole adult life, my brother-in-law, he thought he was 5'7". He thought he was 5'7". But one day, somebody's like, there's no way you're 5'7". We're going to measure you. And they actually, to, we were in an office building, and they put him up against the wall, and they measured him, and he was like 5'5 five, five and a half. Like, he wasn't even like 5'6". And it just ruined him. Like, he was like upset and depressed for days because he had this idea that, man, I'm 5'7". And he's like, no, you're, you're not even 5'6". You're not even there. You're not even where you thought you were. And, and, and that, that's just like, for us, that's the stories we tell ourselves. We carry around stories things we believe about ourselves. Next weekend is Mother's Day, and, and I want to start by looking at a mom story real quick, and we'll tie this into what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew tells a story later in chapter 20 of this mother who had two sons, and both of these sons were disciples of Jesus, James and John. And there, James and John's mother comes to Jesus, and she's like, hey, Jesus, when your kingdom comes, and you're sitting on a throne. Here's what I want you to do. Can you have my two sons sit at your right hand? Because I want them to be in a place of honor. And the thing, what you have to realize is that Jesus had like 12 disciples, but he also had three, three of those 12 that were like really close to him. Peter, James, and John. James and John were brothers, these two ladies' sons. And so these guys were already close to Jesus. They were already close there. But Jesus tells her, he's like, you know, you want them to be in this place of honor in my kingdom, but you don't really know what you're asking. You don't really know what you're asking. And it's really not my place to put them there. It's God's place. And he tells her this. He says in Matthew 20, verse 25, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. The rulers are the people who, who don't believe. They roll it, they lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be the greatest among you must be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be your slave, even as the son of a man came not to serve to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and so what we see Jesus doing here is where mom says hey I want my boys to be in a place of honor Jesus flips the script on her and he says look if they're going to be a place in a place of honor in the kingdom they're going to have to serve they're going to have to make themselves be last so that they can be first and so there's this idea that Jesus is touching on here that when we're talking about the kingdom of God the world's way of doing things, the world's way of seeing things, the world's way of operating is very different from the way that the kingdom of God operates. The values that we see in our world is very different from the values of the kingdom of God. We see this in the story and we see this when Jesus opens his message to us in the Sermon on the Mount and what a lot of people call the Beatitudes. And that's what we're going to look at today. We see Jesus flipping the script. The world operates one way, but he's telling us to operate a different way, to be different. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. That's Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 12, and that's where we're going to be today. There's two schools of thought 
when you look at these things that Jesus says um, about, about you know, how we should be and what, what it means to us, the first is, is that what we're going to read here in a second is a list of virtues. These are a list of things that if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I must try to be like this. If the kingdom of God is here, how do I be a part of it? For example, he says in verse five, blessed are the meek. What meek is, is that, you know, humble and not just arrogant and prideful. So we need to be like that. We need to be meek. So it's a list of virtues that we have to follow. The second sees them as states of being, like an idea of what these beatitudes should mean to us, states of being which Jesus declares God is for you. So when you're in this state, God is for you. So is it a list of virtues that we should attain or these states of being where it says God's for you? Uh, Well, I think it's really both. It's really both if we look at it. Is it one or the other? No, it's really both. In the Beatitudes, we find Jesus saying that God's kingdom is organized differently than worldly kingdoms. The values and the currency is different. Each Beatitude that we're going to look at is a contradiction to society's way of life. If we want to be like Jesus and see his kingdom at work in our lives, living out these beatitudes, is what they're called, will change the way we live each and every day. So these are the opening lines in Jesus' message to us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, if you got your Bibles. Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for... I lost my my, my, my line there. Blessed are the uh, pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kind of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in, is great in heaven, for they all, for so they persecuted the other prophets who were before you. Regardless of the narrative of the things that you've heard about your life, those that are true and those that aren't true, Jesus is announcing in these Beatitudes, in this section of Scripture, that the kingdom of God is here to rewrite your narrative. Most of us would say, man, in those situations, man, I don't want to be poor in spirit. I don't want to be uh, hungry. I don't want to be have to be meek. I don't want to have to be a peacemaker where I'm always having to mend fences and getting into conflict and doing all this stuff. I don't want to have to do that. But he says here that this is where God is working. This is where God is operating in these margins, in these areas. And so the kingdom of God rewrites our narrative in these circumstances. Here he's using a form of poetry, this poetry that his audience that heard this would be very familiar with. It's called antithetical parallelism. That's a big word, and I'm going to just tell you what it means. What it means is this, is that I'm going to put two lines together that seem to contradict each other at first, but really they make a better point. And you know what? We see this elsewhere in Scripture. When I am weak, I am strong, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. We see this in scripture all the time. And so when Jesus is talking, he's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he's meaning is poor in spirit for us, 
poor in spirit means when I'm just, when I have nothing left inside of me, when I am spiritually empty, you know what? That's the time that I can turn to God. When I'm puffed up and everything's good and everything's right, we talked about this a couple weeks ago where everything's good and I don't really think about God in those circumstances. That's a dangerous spot to be. But when I have nothing left inside of me and I lift my hands and I call out to God, theirs is the kingdom of God. In those circumstances, God is going to be with you. He's going to be for you. He's going to be walking there with you. And so Jesus is declaring here in these situations that life is different in the kingdom of God. What does blessed mean? Well, if he's talking about, I mean, he says blessed here like 40 times, it seems like. What does it mean? In the word, the, the, the section of scripture that we talked about, it's called the Beatitudes, and it comes from a Latin word mean beat us. And some of you guys are like, yeah, it does sound like we're beating us. No, no, it doesn't. That, that, that's not what it means. Beat us, it just simply means blessed or happy. But blessed doesn't necessarily mean happy because those who mourn, he's talking about blessed are those who mourn. You wouldn't be happy when you're mourning. That's contradictory. It doesn't make any sense. What it means is, another way of looking at it is congratulations to. Blessed means congratulations to. Well, why would he say congratulations to you when you're in these states? Because blessed shows how God views our current state, how his word is about, uh, and what his word says about us instead of how we feel at the time. So many of us are driven by our emotions. If we have a good day, everybody in our house has a good day. If we have a bad day, everyone in our house has a bad day. Is that you in your house? It's so many of us are driven by our emotions. We're driven by, and we think that the, the quality of our relationship with God is based on the circumstances around us. If I only lived better, if I only acted better, if I only did more good things, then the good things would come. But, but the blessing here that he's talking about is not based on how we feel. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is addressing our feelings head on. You can't always listen to your feelings. You can't always listen to your heart. Biblically speaking, you know, I know our culture likes to say, listen to your heart, follow your heart, do whatever your heart tells you to do. Biblically speaking, the Bible says that our heart is corrupt, that it will lead us the wrong way, that it will take us down don't need to go. And so for us, we have to say that, man, whatever my feelings are, my heart, whatever it's telling me to do right now, I need to understand God's view of it instead of what my feelings are saying. You might not be in a situation, you may find yourself in a situation where it feels like your prayers are not getting answered. You ever felt like that? I'm a pastor. I feel like that. I feel like that where like, man, I don't know if, I don't know if God's hearing what I'm saying right now. Maybe you, it's, it's hard when, when you're, you're around people at work and they're all laughing at the jokes and things like that, but you as a believer say, you know what, I can't, I can't participate in that. I can't do that. Or you see guys cutting corners and they're getting ahead in the job and you're like, man, I can't do that. I can't participate in that. Sometimes it's hard and if we're led by our feelings, what we're going to end up doing is whatever the easy thing is. But Jesus isn't calling us to the easy thing. What he's calling us to do is to operate in his kingdom. And so we have to understand that our feelings will lie to us. Our heart will lie to us. It will lead us down the wrong paths, but God's word will not lie to us. To Jesus, it's not about how you feel. It's about how God sees you. It's not about how you feel. Your blessing is not about how you feel. It's about how God sees you. So many define blessing based on circumstance. 
how much money I've got in the bank, how healthy I am, the quality of my, my relationships, the quality of my marriage, the absence of pain or struggle, like that's blessing, how a lot of us define blessing. But Jesus in the Beatitudes is redefining blessing for us. And here's how he's redefining it. God's blessing for you is positional, not circumstantial. God's blessing for you is positional, not circumstantial. What does that mean? We are blessed because we are in Christ. We are his children. We are, we are his, uh, his people. We are his uh, saved. He, he saves us. We're in Christ. We're a new creation in him, not because of whatever we're going through. And so for your blessing today, you can be in the going through hell right now. You can go through sickness. You can go through pain. You can go through struggle, all this stuff. God will still bless you in the middle of whatever it is you're facing because you are his child. And so whatever it is that you're facing, you can get through it because of God's blessing on your life, because you are his. In the Beatitudes, we see that Christ is not only rewriting our personal narratives, he's also writing the system, the systemic narratives of the world. Every culture has a system. We all have our own stories. We all have our own systems. Every culture, every culture that we're part of, it has our systems. The system that is formed by common values and behavior. In the West, Western Europe, America, Australia, our, our belief systems or whatever that we're in, we operate in an idea that fairness and justice should be over everything else. Like that's what we think. Fairness and justice. Is it fair? Is it just? How many of you guys have ever like heard someone scream at a ref? That's not fair, right? How many of you guys have ever screamed at a ref? That's not fair, right? Like we just think that fairness and justice are the two things that, that should be. And when people get upset, when they get angry, typically it's over issues of fairness and justice. This tends to be regardless of your religious beliefs. It's cultural for us. And fairness, for a lot of times when people talk about church and they talk about the things of God, we, we look at, you know, fair, what's fair, what's not fair. And they look at things like hell and they're like, well, that, how could a loving God do that? Like they, 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 it becomes a fairness question. Because fair, is it fair for God to do that? And, it, yeah, and it's like, how, how could that happen? But if you look at things rationally, that's really not an issue about fairness or justice from a human perspective. Let's look at it this way. How many of you are, are parents in the room? Any parents wave at me? Parents, you got, you got kids, you've had kids before. All right. How many of you guys, if you're not parents, you've ever led anyone in anything? Like you've led something. You've had people that like reported to you. Maybe there's a volunteer role or something like that. Maybe you're a team captain. Maybe, like something you've led people. And you've had to make decisions. You had to make decisions on how you were going to discipline your kids or you had to make a judgment call. But you only had some of the information. You only had part of the information. You didn't have all of it. You had part of it, and you had to make a decision, and you made the wrong decision. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me a lot. I've made a wrong decision because I didn't have all the information, right? And so for us as people, when we look at God's system and we, we look at it from our perspective and what our society thinks about how God should be acting, how God should be operating, how God should work, right? From our, our perspective, from our society, we say, oh, God should be this. He should do this. He should not do this. This is how God should be. But the thing is, is that we don't know everything. We're making all our decisions on partial information. We're making all our decisions on, on just assumptions that some things are a certain way. And the, things, the thing is, is that they might not be. You, 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 I know for me, a lot of times as a parent, like I have to go back and I have to apologize to my kids because once I got the whole story, I realized that I made the wrong call. 
But we have to understand that God is perfect. God is perfect. And so when God says something to us that maybe doesn't make sense to how our society thinks or how our society values things or how our society operates, we have to realize that it's not God that doesn't know everything that's going on. There's nothing that's going on in our world right now that surprises God. You might be like, man, but dude, COVID threw me for a loop. I was not ready for that. I wasn't ready for what happened to the economy. I wasn't ready for trying to have to buy a house right now. I wasn't ready for whatever's happened in my job. I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready. Listen, nothing that's happening is surprising God. And nothing ever will happen that will surprise God. God knows everything. And so for us as people to look at God and say, no, God, that's fair. That's not fair. That's just. That's not just. We're just not in a position where we can speak to it. Without omniscience, that's knowing everything, the ability to know everything at once, fairness is not possible. Without righteousness, perfect righteousness, never making a mistake, being perfect without sin, without blame, justice is not possible. And so when we try to define these things for ourselves, when we try to define them for ourselves apart from God, when we try to define them for ourselves in, within the culture and, ap- and apart from the Bible and what it teaches us and how it shapes us and what God says to us, when we try to define justice and fairness for ourselves, we end up with a cheap, orphaned version of it that can't stand up under the weight of itself. So Jesus redefines these systems to us in the Beatitudes. He reminds us that God's way is very different than our way. God's way is very different from our way. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts, this is God talking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So we can't come to God being like, man, God, I I need you to kind of morph into my own way of thinking. No, that's not how we come. We come asking him to shape us. We must ask God to shape our patterns of thought into his image. Instead, what many try to do is we shape our image of God into the pattern of our thoughts. We find a version of God that agrees with how I think God should be, but that's not the case. We must let God shape the pattern of our thoughts into his image. When we come across anything in scriptures that contradicts our way of thinking, that contradicts what we think is valuable, that contradicts, we must let it shape us instead of throwing it out. For the next couple of minutes, I want to look at each beatitude. I want to look at each and every one of these and I want to talk about how it contradicts a view of the world that, that's really a value in our culture and about how God's promise is different. So first off, we talked about blessed are the, or blessed are the poor in spirit. I say blessed. That's like the King James version of it. It's blessed. I just like to say blessed, right? Because no one says blessed anymore. Do you say blessed? I don't say that. Blessed, right? So if you hear me slip up and I say blessed, that's just because I grew up in a church that talked King James, all right? So um, anyway, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Again, emptiness of spiritual resources. A lot of us would think, dude, that's a bad place to be. And you know what? It kind of is. It kind of is a bad place to be. But here's, but here's the thing. In a world that values pride and personal independence, how many of you guys have ever heard somebody tell you, you need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You need to get yourself together. You need to, you, you need to be in personal responsibility and do that. And here's the thing. There's some things that biblically that you need to take personal responsibility for. This is not a, a message against personal responsibility. But what it is a message is, is that all of us are broken. 
All of us need Jesus, and all of us can't operate in pride in this idea that we have the strength in and of ourselves to ever get there on our own. We need God. And so when we come to God with this attitude of being poor in spirit, the, what happens is, is our pride, our personal independence, all of that melts away. And when we do that, we uh, see the kingdom of God. Uh, I've got this chart up here. If you guys want this, you know, you can type it all out or you could just email me, Jeff at connective.church. I'll email all of this to you. I'll just give you a nice little chart. Good. Um, What's God's reward for us? The kingdom of heaven. How do we develop this attitude? James 4, verse 7 through 10. Todd, I don't have these verses. Don't worry about following me. Just hang with me. Submit yourselves to God, uh, therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mournful and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. When we get in the part of humbling ourselves before the Lord, what does James say? Then he will exalt you. When you are at your bottom, when you are at the, the, the end of your rope, when you're like, man, I cannot figure this out on my own, that's where God meets us. In my weakness, I am strong. So you don't have to have this idea, this cultural value of figuring it all out on your own. In your weakness, you are strong. The next one, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. We live in a society that believes that you should pursue happiness at all costs. It's even written into our documents. But sometimes, man, happiness is just not there. But God will meet you in your mourning. God will meet you in the times where you are broken. God will meet you in the times where you just, you, you just feel like, I cannot take one step further. I, I, I just don't know what to do. God will meet you there. And it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be what? Comforted. Comforted. In James 4 verse 10, we just read it. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will exalt you. He will exalt you. Blessed are the meek. The next one, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In a society where we elevate power and control, my status is how many people report to me and will jump when I say jump. My, my, my relationships in my house are based on my ability to manipulate them to do the will that I want them to do whatever is power and control. Can I control other people? No, Jesus says blessed are the meek. What does meek mean? The meek means humble. Meek means I'm not, I'm not trying to control. I'm not trying to dominate. I'm not trying to, to lord over other people. For these people, what, what's the God's reward? They will inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. Matthew 11, verse 27, all things have been handed over to me, Jesus says, by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone who, uh, whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we are meek, when we, when we humble ourselves before God, we will inherit the earth. The next one, righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. 
Interesting that he says they will be satisfied. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied. So in, in a culture that, that, that values pursuing my personal needs, my personal wants, my personal desires over anything else, in a, person that, in a culture that doesn't even know the difference between my wants and my needs, like we just think they're all one and the same thing, like we, we just pursue everything, like it's just all about getting, 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 getting. When Jesus says, listen, it's not about what you can accumulate, it's the righteous life that you live that will make you satisfied. It's the righteousness that you have that will make you satisfied. When you are righteous, when you do the right thing, when you serve God the right way, then you will be satisfied. Philippians 3, verse 7 through 11, but whatever I gained, I count as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and I may share in his suffering, becoming like him to his death and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Righteousness makes us satisfied. The next one, mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. In a society that looks for strength without feeling, strength without compassion, like we, we, this person is strength. They're, they're a strong man. They're, 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 they've got all their stuff together, but there's no compassion in them. You see it all the time on social media, all the time. Strength without compassion. But the Bible tells us that when we show mercy, we receive mercy. Luke 6 talks about whatever measure you use will be measured back to you. And so if you want to operate in strength without feeling, you want to operate in strength without mercy, in judging other people because of their sin, in judging other people because they're not as smart as you or have their act together as you or whatever, you want to not show mercy to others, the Bible teaches us very directly that mercy will not be shown back to you. Whatever measure you use will be measured back to you. Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Blessed pure in heart, for they shall see God. In a culture that believes that deception is acceptable, purity in heart will allow us to see God. First John 3, verse 2, Beloved, we are now God's children, and whatever will, uh, what, what we will has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. When we love God, when we have pure in heart, we will see God. Two more. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. In a world that seeks personal peace without concern for others, with it where, hey, I'm good, I'm not worried about you. I'm good, I'm not worried. You know, I see people hurting on TV. I see people hurt. I know about people hurting outside. I know about this. I know about there's pain. I know that there's that. But you know what? I'm good, so I don't care. When we're peacemakers, the, these people who are peacemakers, God's reward to us is that we will be called children of God. 
When you seek peace, when you find areas where people are hurting, where they're broken, where they're, where they're lowly, where they're being oppressed, where there's, where there's injustice, when you find those things and you bring peace to those areas, you bring peace to those people, you will be called children of God. Last one, blessed are the persecuted for righteousness sake, for they, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution, what, hap- what happens in persecution is when, when, when you get squeezed, that's the easy time to leave. Like, that's the time when it's easy, like, just to break the commitment. How many of you guys know that, like, man, if, if, uh, if it, like, rains, do you guys know somebody that, like, whatever coffee date you had with them or whatever, like, commitment that they made you, like, that commitment's gone. You guys know people like that, you know? Or, or like, you know, the, the wind changes direction and they're like, man, I just got to stay at home today. Like, it's just, like, it's just rough out, outside. You guys know people like that? We live in a culture that doesn't have good commitments. Like, there's just not a lot of, like, man, I've got to stick through. This is going to be hard, and there's going to be things that I'm going through. But, but I have to stick through it, and I have to work through the hard times. I have to work through those things. And when I do that, that, that there's good stuff on the backside of it. There's good stuff when I walk through the difficult times. When we are persecuted, when we face times that are difficult, when we face challenges to our faith, the Bible promises us that we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So the question when we read these Beatitudes, when we read this section that Jesus is talking about, when he's shaping our thoughts into more like the kingdom of heaven, not our world system, not the world's way, but the way that God operates is, how do we get to the point where we let God rewrite our story? How do you get to the point where you let God rewrite your story? Here's what you have to do. You've got to hand over the pen. You've got to hand over the pen. Some of you are in here today and you're like, dude, I don't know if I could do that. Like I am, I am like just, I, 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 the life that I have is good and everything's good and everything's going the way it is and and everything's right. But, but what happens is, is if we want God's reward, we have to do things God's way. And that requires us to hand over the pen. And instead of writing our own story, we let God write the story for us. Instead of approaching God's word and, and as something that maybe we agree with and maybe we don't and disregard the parts that we don't, instead of doing that, we let it shape us and know that God's word is right. And so this morning, the challenge to us is that we hand over the pen and let God write our story. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father. Thank you for your word. 